passion of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those who you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Judean police arrested Jesus and bound him. And first they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who would advise the Judeans that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter, another disciple, followed Jesus. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus right to the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside of the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. And the woman said to Peter, You're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing around it warming themselves, themselves, and Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Judeans come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus in the face, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? 
Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and he asked him, You're not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves, the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning, and they themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, if this man were not a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves, judge him according to your law. The Judeans replied, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, You asked this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Judean. Am I your own nation? The chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Judeans. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against them. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Judeans? He shouted and replied, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was abandoned. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and as the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him over and over and saying, Hail, King of the Judeans, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look! I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here's the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, to them Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. And the Judeans answered him, Well, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's claimed to be the Son of God. Now, when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. 
He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Judeans cried out, if you release this man, you're no friend of the emperor. Everyone who sets himself to be a king sets himself against the emperor. Pilate heard these words. He brought Jesus outside, sat on the judge's bench at the place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Judeans, here's your king. They cried out, away with them, away with them, crucify him. Pilate asked them, should I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but the emperor. <clears throat> then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carried the cross by himself. He went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate also had an inscription put up on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Judeans. And many of the Judeans read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priest of the Judeans said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Judeans, but write that this man said, I am the king of the Judeans. Pilate answered them, What I've written, I've written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. He said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots to see who will get it. And this wolf was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that's what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, 
It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Judeans did not want bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because the Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified. And But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one, because of his fear of the Judeans, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. And Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and owls weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and the linen cloths according to the burial custom of the Judeans. Now there was a guard in the place where he was crucified. And in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. So because it was the Jewish day of preparation, the tomb was empty. They laid Jesus there. In the name of Jesus, amen. This is a story. This is a text that has had so much layered on it. This is a story, this is a text that lives have been layered over and over and over again on top of it. This is a story that informs everything that we do as congregations, everything that we do as churches, everything that we do as Christians, everything that we do as people in society, most recently dominated by a Christian pseudo-faith. 
And so when we hear it, it's very, very easy to have all those interpretations and all those expectations and all of that come with us. It's easy. It's easy to jump to conclusions at the cross. I think part of that is because I don't want to experience the cross again. I don't want to see this gruesome thing. I don't want to see evil run amok. I see enough of it in daily life. Thank you very much. I don't need it here. And yet, I believe that when we take away some of our interpretations and we, with whatever amount of emotional fear and trembling there needs to be, listen, we find God much closer than we might expect. This story begins with a mob. The story begins with a group of people that have murderous intent. And they don't rest. They go after Jesus again and again and again. They seek to take his life. You've seen the mobs, haven't you? You've seen the ones with murderous intent, haven't you? You've seen the ones that dig at the innocent again and again and again, haven't you? This story contains religious leaders. And if you're like me, you're tempted to think it's only the religious leaders that you don't like. The ones that are clearly wrong, the ones that are clearly messed up. But no. The story contains the religious leaders that were at the height of their careers, the height of their professions in that day, the religious leaders that were well respected in the communities, the religious leaders that knew what they were talking about. And these religious leaders join the mob. It doesn't say exactly why. And I've only been in this job for about five years. But I see inside myself the temptation to run when things get tough. And I see inside myself the temptation to quit when things get real, real rough. And I see inside myself the temptation to take an easy path over and against a good path. I know enough of you in here have sat on council before, and I know enough of you in here have been in leadership positions before, and I'll bet you you've seen that too. This story contains the government. And not the inept government. But Pontius Pilate comes off as almost a shining example of one person in this whole thing that's simply trying to get the madness to stop. Over and over, 
Here's this government official. That's got nothing to do with morality. That's got nothing to do with faith. Simply saying, this person doesn't deserve death. But even within the government, we find the ability to take an easy route over a good one, and the government participates. The centurions participate. The soldiers participate. Pilate participates. And probably the most difficult part of this for me is woven throughout our family and friends. Family who stand at the feet of Jesus' cross not able to change the way that this world works and simply have to watch their son be devoured. Friends that don't know how to stop the way of this world and find themselves both ashamed and running for their lives. When we hear the story simply as it is, we come to understand that these things are not unique to Jesus. These things are not unique to the time. These things are not, not absent from our lives today. Are there not still mobs? Are there not still religious leaders picking their own good? Is the government still not interested from time to time in an easy way over a good way? Do friends and family have to watch suffering? This passion text was not about a single moment in time. But the first introduction we had to what God does, not did, but does. While God, <coughs> excuse me, while God does not stop these things, God does not leave them alone either. While death is still present in these things, God does not let death be the end. While God does not seemingly flip a switch and fix the chaos, God does not leave us to the chaos. You see, we're never ever a people that stop at Good Friday. We're never ever a people that stop in this moment. We are always a people, always, that understand that God will never leave God's people here. God will always bring life to the dying. God will always bring justice to the oppressed. God will always bring light to the darkness. And God will always, always move towards the ones who are messed up and backwards. God will always, always move towards the mob 
And God will always, always move towards the religious leaders and the government, the friends and the family, the ones who are in need. God will always, always, always move towards us. This tells us, among many other things, that God can be found in our world today. That God can be found in the chaos today. That God can be found here today. So I want you to hold. I want you to hold in your hearts and in your minds the things that, like this text, you try your best to avoid. Those thoughts and those situations that you try your best to avoid, that you try your best not to hear your best not to listen to. Hold these things bravely in your hearts. Hold these things bravely in your prayers. And know this. God will not leave you there. God does not leave us there. God be with you. God is with you. Amen.